Take your Bible with me and turn to the book of Ephesians this morning. We're going to step away from the Gospel of John for a couple of weeks and uh, and take time uh, to consider a handful of other passages in the New Testament. But this morning, again, we're celebrating five years of Buffalo City Church, and I'm glad that you're here to do that with us, whether you've been here just a few weeks or you've been here around the full five years. Uh, the reason we can celebrate together is because uh, because regardless of how much time we spent at Buffalo City Church is because we're not celebrating what we've done, but we're celebrating what God has done through us. And so we earnestly desire to worship God this morning together by going to His Word, by understanding more fully who He is uh, and who we are in light of who He is and what He requires of us as His people. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a handful on the table back there. I'd encourage you to pick one up. Even if you haven't already, it's not awkward. Just stand up and go grab one. It's important for you to see the words of Jesus in front of us this morning as we consider what he says to us through his servant Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, I'm going to begin in verse 14, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, which is verse 21. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Ephesus, writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than than all that we ask or think, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want to start out our time this morning. This is a really rich text, and I want to consider a lot of things out of it this morning. But I want to start out by questioning a term that we oftentimes use together as the local church, as the people of God. We oftentimes use a term, and words have meaning, uh, in particular words, uh, whether you realize it or not, set the tone for the way that we approach the Christian life. Set the tone for the way we approach, even not the Christian life, but just everyday activities and our attitudes towards those activities. So the, the secular world gets this. Let me, let me give you an example. Athletes, if, if you're an athlete, maybe you're a high school athlete, or maybe you're currently an athlete, uh, athletes use words oftentimes like dominate and, and attack. Uh, athletes wake up at at 4 a.m. in the morning to get 500 jump shots in before their competitors get out of bed, and then they let everybody know about it. They're crushing it in the weight room. Or, or think about the language of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs oftentimes talk about the grind, or they talk about the hustle, or they talk about breakthroughs that they're having in their business. Uh, they're laboring over spreadsheets long after we've gone to bed. And these are the, this is the language of, of these, these spheres. 
Uh, as Christians, I'm, I'm oftentimes uh, interested in the way that we talk about the activities that we engage in the Christian life. And so I want to poke at one this morning, the, 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 the phrase quiet time. Quiet time. If you've been in around the church, you've heard people refer to their personal Bible study and reading as a quiet time. Where did that, where did that come from? <laughs> Where did that, where does that come from? That sounds incredibly boring. And it sounds like we're preparing to take a nap. But the reality is, when we go to our Bible, when we go to pray, we're not preparing to take a nap, but we're setting out on a serious pioneering journey into the vast unknown of an infinite God whose depths will never be fathomed, even into eternity. This is what we're doing when we go to the Bible and we pray to, to this God. Consider Lewis and Clark. We know about Lewis and Clark. They were commissioned by Thomas Jefferson to explore the Louisiana Purchase. An expedition that took over three years. That expedition had ultimately had an end when they reached the West Coast. You, similarly, have been commissioned by your God to explore his infinite depths with no end at all, ever, in eternity. And somehow, we've opted to call it a quiet time. It isn't personal Bible study and prayer more like a quest? Aren't we preparing for spiritual battle? Every time we go to God's Word, aren't we preparing for spiritual battle? We're not preparing for a nap. At the end of his life, Jesus, he looked at his followers and, uh, and he told them that an intense spiritual battle was coming their way. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, they fell asleep. There was no more real time for that spiritual battle. Jesus was about to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus was about to end the reign of sin and death. The, the most full and vital expression of spiritual battle was at hand, and Jesus' disciples fell asleep. The flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. And when we opt for language like quiet time, I think what we're doing is putting ourselves in a hole before we even begin. Before we even get started in the Bible and in prayer. And as a result, when, when we go to our Bible and we go to prayer, hoping for quiet time, um, we're hamstringing our worship. We're actually limiting or creating a problem because of the way that we're thinking about the time we're about to engage in. Because the fact of the matter is, we will fall asleep. The flesh is weak. We will allow for things to disrupt us, like our phones. We will allow for distractions to come in. We'll grow discouraged. Or... When we're spending time in God's Word, we might come to a passage of Scripture that doesn't make any sense to us. Say, why am I even doing this? Why do I even bother? It might upend us or not make sense, and so 
we're wondering, is this time a quiet time or is this a time of confusion? Lewis and Clark wouldn't have even made it to St. Louis if they thought they were going on a nice fall hike on August 30th of 1803. It was truly an expedition that they were setting out. Lewis, Lewis, at the end of the first day, would write in his journal that at the end of the day, they halted for the night much fatigued after laboring with my men all day. First day, laboring, fatigued. If it was a hike, it wasn't worth it. But these men who were commissioned by Thomas Jefferson, by President Thomas Jefferson, there was something vast and unknown that needed to be known. In this passage, Paul knows that without knowing God, and specifically the love of Christ, our lives will not be lives of worship. Let me say that again. This is the primary thrust of this passage. Paul knows that without knowing God and specifically knowing the love of Christ, our lives will not be lives of worship. J.I. Packer writes this in his book, Concise Theology. He says, we should never forget that in any case, theology is for doxology. The truest expression of trust in a great God will always be worship and will always be proper worship and praise and to praise God for being far greater than we can know. Knowing the love of Christ, comprehending it on a deep theological level. The word theology, if you're like, that word can't do it. That word just means the study of God. Anytime you go to your Bible, anytime you're reading scripture to know God more, you're doing theology. And every time you ignore God, every time you think of something as better than what God has to offer you, you're doing theology. To know a vital dimension of who Jesus is, like his love, which Paul talks about in this passage, is deeply theological. But theology is meant to lead to doxology. Doxology is worship. Doxology is an expression of praise followed on the heels of theological understanding. Theology leads to doxology. And Paul understands that through this text. When you know God, truly know him as he reveals himself in his word, when you intimately know him, you will worship him. You will long to journey into his word and into prayer. You will long to lead your family to him as you journey into word, the word and into prayer. And you will long to journey together, which will lead to worship with the gathered people of God like we are doing right now. Lives of worship is what Paul genuinely desires for the church in Ephesus. He says it in verse 14. This is the reason that he prays. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This is the reason that Paul goes to God in prayer for the Ephesians. He goes to, prayer for, or goes to God in prayer for the Ephesians in order that they might what? He doesn't want any area of their lives to remain untouched by the wonder that should be generated through the strength and the knowledge that God provides. So, I want to just walk through this passage and consider two things that kind of build on each other this morning. The first thing that we see here is that Paul prays for strength for the Ephesians. 
Look at verse 16. Well, verse 14, I just mentioned it. But verse 14, uh, Paul is praying. And then in verse 16, we see that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. So the question we're asking is, well, okay, how will the Ephesians be strengthened? Two ways. First, according to the riches of God's glory, God freely gives strength. And then secondly, through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Two ways God grants strength. And then the question becomes, but where will they be strengthened? And at the end of verse 16, Paul says, in your inner being. In your, now, let's take a second here, because this is important. This is going to be important for us as we move through this text. This isn't just strength to get through the day or the next minute or whatever you're facing tomorrow or even the today. The inner being is important in the Christian life. John chapter 3, uh, when we'll get there in a while in John's gospel when we go back to it. But John chapter 3, Jesus speaks about being born again. Now, this is a terminology that you've heard if you've been around the church, being born again. And this term gets bounced around a lot in the church, and we, we ask the question, oftentimes it gets misapplied or misdefined. But we need to consider that this describes us as people who had something substantially happen to us to be born again. Our inner being has been renewed. Even like as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Same idea. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the inner being that Paul is talking about. This new creation that we are in Christ, no longer ruled by sin, but ruled by Christ. When we repent of our sin and turn to Christ as the only one who can save us and make us right with God, we are born again. We are made a new creation. This is the locale of the strength that Paul prays for the Ephesians. Paul is praying in this text that God would strengthen the Ephesians in their inner being. That new creation in, in them. But then the question is, for what purpose does Paul pray that they would be strengthened? Paul prays that they would be strengthened because there is a pioneering to do. There is a lifelong journey of knowing God set before them in a world full of distractions. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Interesting language here again, but what Paul means is that Jesus would be the driving force behind all that the Ephesians say and do. John Calvin would say it like this, Justly, therefore, does Paul affirm that the persons who are endowed by God with spiritual vigor are those in who Christ dwells. So the Holy Spirit strengthens the inner being of the believer so that the excellencies of Christ would inform everything that the believer says and does. All of the believer's activities are informed by who Jesus Christ is. And I think of the second half of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love, Paul is restating here, uh, when Christ dwells in the heart through faith, that person is rooted and grounded in love. And so verses 16 and 17, Paul prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened through the Holy Spirit. 
in their inner being, in order that Jesus Christ would become the motivation for all that they do. This is what the Ephesians need, and friends, what we need to be worshipers. Being a worshiper requires determination. It requires strength. It's not a passive approach. It requires the heart of a pioneer. It requires the same uh, intensity that Lewis and Clark required when they knew that they were going on a journey of thousand plus days to discover something, to search out uh, an unknown territory. The world, Satan, and your sinful flesh are always throwing things at you that will be distractions. If you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to have a quiet time now. I have five young kids. I understand this. There is no quiet time. And it doesn't matter where you are. We live in a world full of distractions. There is no quiet time. There's only go-to-war time. One of, on the very first day, again, on the very first day of Lewis and Clark's journey, a gentleman who was with them, while Lewis was purchasing a gun, happened to accidentally shoot a bystander. This is day one of this expedition. We were like, hey, I'm going to give up now. Lewis writes in his journal, Mr. Blaze Sinus, being unacquainted with the management of his gun, suffered her to discharge herself accidentally. The ball passed through the hat of a woman about 40 yards distant, cutting her temple and about a fourth of the diameter of the ball. She fell instantly and blood gushing from her temple. We were all in greatest consternation. Really? The woman wound up to be fine. But this is day one. This is a day one distraction. You can't go to your Bible. You can't go to prayer and expect something like this not to happen. Resolve and strength and determination, the heart of a pioneer, one setting out on an expedition is what you need. Not quiet. Not a quiet time. If Jesus Christ is to be the driving force behind all that we say and do, then we must have the resolve, the determination, the strength in our inner being to know God and what he's given us in Christ Jesus, even in the midst of a world of endless distractions. What's the way to have that strength? Because we all desperately need it. To ask God. Ask God for it. That's the next point here that we see. Paul prays for, this, for strength for the Ephesians in order that they might know the love of Christ. So this is the goal, the ultimate goal of the strength that Paul, Paul prays for the Ephesians. The goal of this strength is that they might, one, look at verse 18, comprehend the vastness of Christ's love. The breadth, length, height, depth, it's massive. It's not containable. And then to know intimately Christ's love. The knowledge isn't just about knowing, but it's about knowing and experiencing and interacting with it. Paul doesn't ask for strength for the Ephesians to read the Wikipedia page on Christ's love, but rather in order that they might really truly know, experience, and grow in and interact with Christ's love. What is the love of Christ? What are we even talking about here? Jesus would say it in John chapter 15, verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is a portrait of Christ's love. 
But Jesus Christ didn't just lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies in order that they would be called his friends. Romans 5.8 but, well, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were separated from God, while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us, the ungodly, and welcomed us into eternal friendship with him. So Christ's love accomplishes this, and it accomplishes so much more. It accomplishes our justification, our sanctification, our redemption, our adoption. And the list goes on and on. And so what's needed then to know Christ's love? What's needed, what's required to know this love that Paul wants the Ephesians desperately to know? It's strength in our inner being. Because despite praying for comprehension and knowledge, look at the end of verse 19, or halfway through it. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This knowledge goes beyond what you can know. How are you going to know the unknowable? He prays that God would grant men and women the needed comprehension and knowledge in order that they might be mature. Paul doesn't say, you can't know it, so why are you trying? He doesn't say that. He prays that God would grant men and women the needed comprehension and knowledge in order that they might be mature. And that's what the end of verse 19 means. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. That you may be made complete. That you may be made perfect. That you may be made mature. And maturity comes through not just knowing about it. Not just knowing about Christ's love. Not just knowing God but actually knowing and understanding, experiencing, meditating upon, interacting with, and demonstrating the love of Christ to others. In order to know the love of Christ, in order to comprehend the vastness, you need supernatural strength and resolve in the inner being. And Paul knows That God is happy, God is delighted to provide this strength to his people. And so he goes to God and asks that the Ephesians would have it. So what? So so what about this passage? Why is this important? Why this passage as we consider five years of Buffalo City Church? Uh, Earlier in the week, I just asked the question as I was preparing, what are we going to pray about? For the next five years. What are we going to pray about for the next five years? What do we long to see as a church? Because God has done amazing things in our midst in the first five years of Buffalo City Church. We started in the high school. We moved to the Exchequer Room. We moved to this facility through the, through the merger with First Baptist Church. We've seen men and women come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen men and women get baptized. Our membership has grown. Our community groups have grown. Our families have grown. Our community groups. We've had the ability to help seeing churches planted in our region. We've grown together in our love for God and our love for the gospel and our ability to articulate and share that gospel and our love for God's word 
in our relationships with one another, our unity in our community, in order in an understanding of what it means to worship together as a congregation. Even in this year that's been weird, it's been 2020, it, God has shown us favor. And my hope is that you would reflect today on the, on the ways that God has used Buffalo City Church to benefit and grow you through other people, the means that God has given you in your life. And God has been kind to me through you all as well. You've been an encouragement to me in my first five years of pastoral ministry. You've helped me grow. You've been patient with me. You've languished through some really bad sermons, no doubt. Probably need another five, maybe ten years to even begin thinking about the word proficient. But I hope that you can also say that God has grown you here at Buffalo City Church. I hope that. And so considering what God has done in the first five years, what what would you ask for in the next five? I think this passage is what we should pray. I think this passage is what we should pray for. Just like Paul prays for the Ephesians, that we together would have the strength and the determination and the resolve to set out on an expedition to comprehend the vastness of Christ's love. And to know intimately the love of Christ. Shouldn't we pray for like numerical growth and money to do ministry and opportunities to plant churches? Yes, sure, absolutely. But under the umbrella of the strength that we need to comprehend the love of Christ. I'm convinced that all the things that we want to see practically as a church, I'm convinced that the only way that those will happen is if we're a church that God gives the supernatural strength to comprehend and know the unknowable. If we were a church that had the strength to comprehend the vastness of the love of Christ, if we were a church that had the strength to know intimately the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, if we were a church that had the strength to comprehend and know the love of Christ, then we would be maturing in Christ. Then we would be growing in Christ's likeness. We would speak of Christ because He is our best and He is embedded deeply within our hearts. He'd be our first and best thought. It would always be Jesus. And our lives would be endlessly about Him. And we would teach Christ to our children. And we would wake up and we would go to bed thinking on the excellencies of Christ. And our homes would be centered around Him. And when we stand up and when we lie down and when we go to work and when we do our hobbies and ourselves and our families and our church would be so deeply enamored with the person of Jesus Christ that we would not be able to mistake what we're about. People would look in and say, what are they about? They wouldn't ask the question because the question would be, they're resolved, they are determined to know to meditate upon, to experience, to demonstrate the love of Christ. But friends, we need supernatural strength that only God can provide. We don't need more quiet times. We need more prepare for battle times. We need more exploration and amazement times. Can you imagine Lewis and Clark journeying across this area of the world, coming to the North Dakota Badlands or to the Rocky Mountains, for goodness sake? 
Would you not be overwhelmed by the majesty of it all if you saw it for the first time like they saw it for the first time? Of course you would. Friends, would we, would we go to our Bible? We should expect to see and to know infinitely greater things than the Badlands or the Rocky Mountains. Friends, we need supernatural strength because our knowing through our comprehension We are led into worship. In Buffalo City Church, we should pray that we would have the strength to comprehend the vastness of Christ's love and know Christ's love intimately so that we might worship him more fully. This strength is given that we might worship him all over the place, all of the time. As we care for one another, as we make disciples as we plant churches, as we see the lost come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, as we grow together in maturity. All of these things, all of this worship will only happen if God imparts strength through His Holy Spirit in our inner being. And so I wonder this morning if we would really ask. Would we really ask for that to be a reality in our midst? Would we really ask for that to be part of our DNA for the next five years? Paul's worshipful section here at the end tells us what we need to know if we would really ask. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, this God is delighted, delighted to provide us the strength to know the unknowable. Would we dare to ask? It will likely require inconvenience. It will likely result in discomfort. It will mean giving up earthly pursuits. It will likely mean advancing in enemy territory at the risk of great loss. Friends, are we ready? Would we dare to ask? The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. But if we pray for the strength to know it, God is able to give it. And not only is he able, but he delights to give it to us. Friends, Jamestown is ripe for the gospel to take root here in a mighty way. Buffalo City Church, before we plan for the next five years, let's pray for the next five years. Because when we truly know that, the love of Christ, and we have the strength to chase after it hard, we will erupt with lives of worship in order that through our determination, through our resolve, through our pioneering spirit, we will worship. And God would receive glory just like Paul says here at the end of this passage in verse 21. In the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray.